Amen. Good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. We are in the book of Acts chapter 13 this morning. We will stand in a moment and take verses 4 through 12. The moment has arrived. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Beginning at verse 4, Acts chapter 13. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer a false prophet, a Jew named, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was in the proconsul of Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, which stood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Please be seated. Opportunity and opposition. This is the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys to the Gentiles mainly, though he will always, as often, start in the synagogues and end up preaching to the Gentiles, there were risks and there were rewards, as it is to this day. We're always learning how to improve our personal Christianity from the lessons given to us of the first Christians and how they served Christ. And that is one of the benefits of just going through the New Testament. Uh, This is our template. Uh, Here are our instructions, and uh, they... They will prevail over the gates of hell for those who believe. Verse 4 again. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. This is the age that we live in where the Holy Spirit is the substitute presence on earth for the bodily presence of Christ. Of course, our Lord has ascended to heaven. But he said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will send the Comforter, and is the Holy Spirit. And these men are sent out by him. It was a time back in the 80s and 90s where it was common to say to another Christian, so what is the Lord doing in your life? Is the Spirit moving in your life? These were honest questions. They were not meant to cause trouble or put anyone at dis, uh, you know, uh, in discomfort. Uh, I don't know that it's a question people ask anymore. I used to enjoy, you know, what's the Lord doing in your life? Well, I always had something to say. 
And uh, if, if someone did not have an answer, then it would cause them to think about it. And why is it that other Christians uh, feel that lo- the Lord is working in their life? What about me? And uh, it, uh, it is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of Barnabas and Saul. But there's a footnote that goes with this, and we'll come to it in a little bit. Anyway, the Holy Spirit, he is a person of the Trinity. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses, well, well, the word Trinity's not in the Bible. But the fact is, and add to that, then how do you account for the word the Godhead? So you're wrong. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure to tell you you're wrong. Repent or be lost. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we hear the Holy Spirit speak in the Scripture, particularly in the book of Acts. We see him in action. We observe him being lied to because he is a person. And that the fact that he can be blasphemed places him equal with the Father and the Son. He is divine. He is God the Holy Spirit. And I love the song we were just singing, you know, Holy Spirit, you are welcomed here. I think a lot of churches, again, are afraid of the Holy Spirit. Others are abusive of the Spirit. Uh, To find that scriptural balance is is a very good thing. They went down to Seleucia. Uh, This is the closest seaport from Antioch. They left the church in Antioch, Syria, uh, Seleucia is, was the, about 15 miles away, a very large port. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. That's 130 miles by sea, about two days' journey in those days. Uh, Barnabas, he is a Cypriot. He is from Cyprus, so uh, he's going to have connections there. The copper mines uh, were one of the large industries on this island, as well as shipbuilding. But Cyprus was also a place that was given to worship Venus, this homemade goddess. Uh, They were very devoted to her. It was the deification of sexual lust. So when you hear of uh, Venus, um, Aphrodite, these are human beings who have created these gods and goddesses to satisfy their own passions. They have no, uh, there's nothing true about them except they're right out of hell. Verse 5 When they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So now at Salamis, a port city on the island of Cyprus, this is uh, the first of four cities that are going to be mentioned here. They traveled about 180 miles through this land, Uh, you know, on cart and horse and walking. Uh, Well, the tram was was there, too. Uh, No, it wasn't. Anyway, uh, this, this is uh, hard work, but they feel it's worth it. There are opportunities here to preach Christ. And it says that they preach the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Well, this is what the Spirit called them to do. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have them to do. And here they are doing it. Now, the, Paul and Barnabas, they're Jews, and routinely launched their ministry by preaching in the synagogues. They were welcome to preach in the synagogues. They, uh, when they showed up, they could, uh, the synagogue rulers could tell that these men were uh, rabbis. Paul certainly was. We'll come across this in verse 14, in chapter 14, in chapter 17. We'll, we'll come across it a few times. They also had John as their assistant. 
Now, the Greek word there translated assistant, and remember the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, the Old Testament in the Hebrew primarily. It is under oarsmen, and you picture a Roman galley with those old Roman large ships, and you'd have the men rowing on it. If any of you are familiar with the movie Ben-Hur, you get to see that reenacted. Well, these were galley slaves, usually, uh, and the idea is that uh, he's a subordinate, and he's not in sight. The under oarsmen, you know, they just they were they they propelled the ship, but they were not uh, in charge. And uh, Mark, he would be the gopher. He'd go for the groceries. He'd go for whatever it is they needed. Uh, he was there to assist them. He's not going to make it. He's going to fail on this this outing. He's not ready for service. And it is a fact that when the Holy Spirit said, separate to me, and this is what I said I wanted to get back to about Mark, separate to me Barnabas and Saul. There's no mention of Mark. How did Mark get separated into this group? Well, Barnabas is his cousin. And I think the educated conclusion is that cousin Barnabas said, this would be a wonderful opportunity for you. In ministry, you serve as an intern, you, you be discipled on the way, this, this is going to be a fantastic experience for you. You should join us. And he does. He says, I'll take care of you. Well, uh, the best of both worlds for him were there because Barnabas had family on Cyprus, and that was Mark's family to some degree also. I don't know what degree is not said, but there's a connection. And, and he's going to say, you, we get to see family and, you know, you, you never met these, whatever it is, the, the human side of it. Again, without direction from the Lord. The best of both worlds, family and ministry. Well, you better be careful how you balance these. Family can be the biggest hindrance to ministry because they make demands on you and of your time, if nothing else. And ministry can be the biggest hindrance to family. And so you just can't treat these things lightly. You have to find that balance. Uh, it's unfortunate that many never serve. They never serve in the body of Christ because of family. Or they, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> they hide from their family in ministry. Uh, well, anyway, uh, not only will Mark fail, but his blunder will cost the friendship for a long time of Barnabas and Saul. They will split. But God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love him, called according to his purposes. And so what happens, Satan thinks he has split the ministry, but actually what he does is he creates two ministries. And Barnabas goes to Cyprus and ministers in Paul, of course, to Turkey, and then eventually into Europe. And so we look at this story, and we say, here's Barnabas and, and Saul, bringing Mark along when they, should, we, they really should not have, and they created a Hagar. Now, some of you are familiar with Hagar. She is the Old Testament uh, concubine of, of Abraham, and it, it caused a lot of problems. Uh, Ishmael and Isaac and Sarah, the, the New Testament, Paul will bring it up when, he gets to, when we get to the letter to the Galatians. And in life, we can think we're helping God. We can think we're doing the right thing. What could be wrong with this? And we create a disaster. Uh, it, it might be carnally sensible, but spiritually void. 
And this is it was happening. Barnabas and Paul, Mark, uh, pardon me, Saul, they meant well. But the, the instructions were very clear. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul. And that is as far as they should have gone in this case. We like on our coffee mugs and t-shirts and refrigerators. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. And so there's a good lesson for us. As, we, as I mentioned at the beginning, we Christians come to the New Testament and we look, how are we supposed to be Christians? How shall we thus live as Christians? And here's a lesson. To be led by the Lord. Um, you know, it would have, maybe Mark said, hey, I, I would like to go with you guys. And they should have said, not this trip. Or we'll pray about it. And the answer is no. Either way, uh, it causes problems, but the Lord rebounds. Uh, the the situation and ministry goes on. So I hope this is something that registers with us that just because something seems like a good idea doesn't mean it's God's idea. And the Bible's loaded with these kinds of lessons. In verse 6, now when they had gone through the isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew named Bar-Jesus. Paphos at that time was the capital city of Cyprus, and about 80 miles from where they started, they, tre- they trekked through the land. I think I said 180 miles earlier. Oh, that's your fault for hearing me wrong. Well, <laughs> anyway, we just trek through the island, and they found this sorcerer. Not that they were looking. Hey, we found him. Not that's not the sense, but it more like, look what we've got here. Somebody is in the way. We have this opportunity, but this is opposition. Now, the Greek word for sorcerer, translated sorcerer, is magi. And we're, you know, the three magi, the, the, well, not the three. We don't know that there were three. We, people say there were three that came to see the child Jesus because of the three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. But there was an entourage, like very more than three. Anyway, it has a broad meaning in the New Testament, well, today, a, a doctor has a broad meaning. Uh, could it be a medical doctor? And if so, which, which discipline? Uh, or maybe it's a Ph.D.-type doctor of philosophy. And so a broad meaning to uh, a magi, it was sort of a, you know, it was an, a person involved in the occult or a scientific person. When the magi came to see Christ, they were astronomers, uh, not astrologists, but astronomers and the study of stars. Elimus, um, he wanted to impress, of course, the, the, the proconsul Sergius Paulus here, the governor, with his occult knowledge. This is going to be a meal ticket for him. This is not, not uncommon in the ancient world. Uh, somebody supposedly in touch with the supernatural. This is this is a little different. Then Simon Magnus, uh, you can you can ultimately they end up in the same place as unbelievers in that state that they were in, but this one is a little bit more in touch with Satan than Simon Magnus was, and you know to, to have an oracle, to be able to predict the future or lend some wise word based on some spiritual contact that that's what characterizes this man's position that he had as a sorcerer. 
and is a precise. It is a good definition. It is a good translation to say, yeah, he's up to sorcery. Doesn't mean it's true. It's all gibberish, right? Right out of hell. Some of it probably comes true, but then that's just you know that's not impressive. You can make a lot of predictions. Anything. <laughs> you, a lot of times, it's, you get fifty-fifty chance of being right. Anyway. Uh, Elimus, he had some sway over somebody to be in the position that he was in, but Sergius Paulus is not impressed with him. In fact, very dissatisfied with him. That comes out in the story. These practices that uh, he is engaged in the occult, trying to tap into the spiritual world, they are demonically influenced, and Luke is careful to condemn them. Both whether it is the trickery of Simon Magnus from Acts chapter uh, 8, who wowed the people, he impressed them with his tricks, or if it's the occultic uh, word and false prophecies and false wisdom coming from this Elimus Bar-Jesus, which means the son of Jesus and come back to that also. And so, of course, this is forbidden in the scripture. It is under the category of uh, demonic sway. And so are horoscopes and Ouija boards. And if you call yourself a Christian, you should have nothing to do with either one of them. You're messing with the spiritual world of the demons. And uh, Christians are forbidden from consulting and honoring these. Oh, I'm a Sagittarius. Shut up if you're a Christian. What are you talking about? You're a Christian. Don't buy into that stuff. Uh, Not only is it false, it is forbidden. And uh, to claim that you've got some special knowledge, some organized knowledge by some hidden force in the universe, and you can tell how a person behaves by the month or time or season they were born in, even if it were true, it's forbidden. Deuteronomy 13 covers that, but so does Deuteronomy 18. There we read, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. I think that cover is pretty thorough. Don't go messing with the spiritual realm. You will bring into your life demonic forces that you can't get out. And those who think that this is cute are dummies. Uh, That's what it says right there. Well, I'll show you later. (laughs) It is the fool that, that will tamper with these things in the face of God. Listen, when God submits you, tap out. Don't let him break your neck. And that's what happens. People, God submits them with truth, and instead of submitting to him and converting, many times they just harden up even more. And then they are judged, and their neck is broken. That's the end of life, but not existence. These sins mentioned here in Deuteronomy, they carried the death sentence in the Old Testament economy. And that system of government. God's people were not to have anything to do with this. Some of them, the Jews, tried to mix it and hide it, to mask it. Zephaniah calls them out on this. He says, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, that's the stars and the astrology and all that stuff, Created beings worshiping created things. 
Those who worship and swear oaths by Yahweh, but who also swear by Milcom. So they wanted this eclectic faith. A little bit of this. We just take the best from the best. No, you don't. You take the worst and you mix it in with the best and then you end up with something even worse than the worst. And uh, again, astrology, horoscopes, Ouija boards, they are denounced in scripture. Not astronomy, the study of, you know, stars. There's a big difference between finding out what stars are doing up there versus asking them questions. You go up into a tree and say, tell me, am I going to get the job? Anyway, uh, so, and, and there are Christians that, that, that do this. But I, I like to believe that once they hear that this is forbidden, they, they correct it in their, own, in their own lives. Paul talks about such mingling with spiritual things in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And remember, that church needed to be corrected about everything. How, how did There were some solid believers there, and how they lived with these other ones is beyond me. Yet, yet I would rather attend Corinth than Laodicea. If you know who these churches are, then you, you of course, will agree with me, because you know I'm always right. But anyway, back to this. And if you're new here, I, I'm, I'm not serious about being always right. I'm very serious about it. <laughs> All right. Chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, verse 20. Rather the things which the Gentiles sacrifice. That's what they honor in a spiritual sense. They sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Yes, in your face with the truth. Not, oh, well, everything's okay. It'll work out if the heart is sincere. I know they love the Lord. Well, they, if they love the Lord, they'll, they'll cease and desist from conducting uh, themselves with, alongside of those practices. Um, if you are offended by this, that's the devil talking to you and uh, just telling you that you don't tap out. A false prophet he is called. Well, what he spoke wasn't true. Of course, there are elements of truth in it, but it's mingled with the lies, and therefore it is false. And, uh, you know, to tell somebody, here's a, parach- uh, a parachute will protect you from uh, the impact if you jump out of a plane with a parachute, and, and, and you, they hand you a, a backpack full of rocks. You see, there's a little truth in it, the truth that a parachute will protect you. The part they didn't tell you was that you don't have one. And so that the, the spirit of a lie, it also says that, oh, I should point out, truth to the Christian is not a figure of speech. I mean, it's not, you know, to Pontius Pilate it was, what is truth? He didn't even wait for the answer. And we need to remember, obedience is not a figure of speech for the Christian. Um, these things are very special to us, and we pursue them in spite of our shortcomings. Well, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who is living in violation of his faith, as I just read from Deuteronomy, his own, his his culture, his ethnicity as a Jew, uh, forbade such practices. Uh, Anyway, had he remained in Judea, or Israel practicing this, they would have stoned him to death. 
So he got as far away as he could to Cyprus, and he nest amongst the Gentiles. His father's name was Jesus. Now, Jesus is the Greek for the Hebrew, Joshua. And, of course, pronounced Yahshua because there's no really a J sound in the Hebrew. Uh, well, anyway, he was not Jesus of Nazareth. There were many Jews named Yahshua. Uh, it was, that's nothing surprising about that. But in verse 10, Paul will not call him the son of Jesus. He will call him the son of the devil. And that's intentional. Paul, you know, God, Paul wasn't having any of it. Uh, let's call a debate. There's no debate. It, we'll come to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 7, continuing about this uh, Elimus, who was, in, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Well, the proconsul, he's a, a Roman appointed governor, is what he really is. And it was, as I mentioned, not uncommon to have spiritists around them as advisors, counselors, analysts. Today we've got, you know, so called experts oftentimes with political science degrees or law degrees or both, and they are advisors to government officials. But Sergius Paulus, it says, was an intelligent man. That had to have impressed Paul, who likely told this to Luke, who was the author, the human author of the book of Acts. Paul was impressed. The man was a thinker. In fact, a secular history mentions that he was an author and read by some other well-known figures of, of his age. So he's educated, and he's intelligent. Well, intelligence is the proper use of your education, what you've been taught. And there are a lot of people that hide behind their degrees instead of using the knowledge. Uh, and there's a difference. Do you, do you carry the degree, or does the degree carry you? If the degree is carrying you, you're just a blowhard. But if you are carrying it, you're an intelligent person, as you've been formally educated, and you're uh, employing it with, with vigor and reason. Um, we have educated people in government who are morons, and this is what I'm talking. Then you have other educated people in government who are not morons. And uh, learning to – I don't think – they don't teach this in high school. They don't tell you, listen, you're about to go to college or university – you're going to find a lot of moronic professors there. Why don't they make that a mandatory class? I'll teach it. I'll even show pictures. A couple of birds, hand things. All right. Yeah, you need a flashlight for that one. But anyway, back to this. This man, uh, Sergius, was an intelligent man. He, again, not hiding behind his credentials, but actually putting them to work. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. I should point out, you know, these professors, if they were always right, why do they disagree with each other so much? They write books against each other's positions all the time. This is, this is even in Christianity. If you start getting into deeper commentaries, which really are just really a lot of reading, uh, you'll find them arguing with other commentators. So-and-so says this, but I think that is flat-out wrong, and he is a moron. <laughs> they don't go that far. <laughs> but, but they do come pretty close to it. Uh, so they, you know, 
what is truth? Well, it's not that hard to find out what the truth is if you're being honest and willing to take the pains of being corrected. And it's hard to be corrected for all of us. I mean, I feel bad when I run a red light, don't you? I mean, it's... Well, my pastor runs red lights. I guess I can. No, it's not advised. I just did one this morning, but it was not my fault. The light move was too quick. Anyway... (laughs) Okay, I got that confession out. I've been carrying that all morning. <laughs> My biggest concern was, am I going to get caught? Anyhow, the man, the man called Barnabas, he called Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Because he was dissatisfied with Elimus, what Elimus had to offer. That wasn't a religion worth having. He was smart enough to know, oh, you've got to have these kind of guys in government. The times he lived in, but he knew it was junk. And uh, it's nice to hear this. Verse 8, But Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So here's this opportunity to share Christ. They're invited by the governor to come preach the gospel. And Satan has his, uh, what do you call, embedded agent in Elimus there, Elimus, it says, for so his name is translated from the Arabic, and it means magi, magician, or wizard. Uh, This is the first recorded spiritual resistance on their journey, and there are going to be a lot more. Paul wrote to Timothy years later about Moses being resisted. Now, Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. And uh, you have to love the New Testament, you know, just tells it like it is. And you just scratch your head over why there are so many pulpits that feel they have to censor and edit out what the Bible says because it might offend. It's made to offend the guilty. How else do you get them to repent? You can't convert them if you don't hurt them. In, in the sense of truth and lies. Um, uh, so anyway, there's always one, and this one is Elimus. And instead of being intimidated by what Satan throws at us, what we have to learn is to armor up. I mean, you're going to have people who mess up everything if they're given the chance. And if they can't mess it all up, they'll just do enough to bring you down. And you, you, we have to accept this fact. And that's why, again, we armor up the armor of the saints as we read in Ephesians chapter 6. Hopefully so that we can inflict damage on, on Satan's kingdom of lies. Now, Nehemiah lays this out for us before the New Testament was written. There were those that didn't want Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem's wall. Because that was their military, that was their defense system. They wanted Israel to remain vulnerable, easy pickings. And Nehemiah comes along, and he's going to build this wall. And he's he, they form this coalition against him, the, the Arabs and various other peoples of the land. Nehemiah writes, "Those who built the those who built on the wall, and those who carried burdens." 
loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. And so if the guy is working on a wall, his weapon is right there by him. He goes on to say, uh, when they were trying to intimidate him, you know, come, come run into the house of the Lord because they're out to get you, Nehemiah. They're going to kill you. And run to the house of the Lord and be safe. Well, they were going to ambush him. And he, he responds, uh, and I said, should such a man as I flee? I'm the boss here. Should I be running because you're telling me these scary things? And he continues, and who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And then later on he writes how they, they sent these things to frighten me. And in the end, the wall goes up and he remains, you know, in charge. He dealt with Satan and his intimidation. And that's what I'm talking about. Here is Elimus opposing them. And the devil is making his presence known. And when the devil makes his presence known, you can either be intimidated and get nowhere for the kingdom, or you can armor up and defy what he is doing. And the church has, has done this over the centuries. Paul's going to do it. We're just getting started with him. He's going to start doing it quite, quite. I mean, who gets stoned and then goes back into the town with the folks that stoned you are? Well, Paul does. Anyway, verse 9. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Well, without explanation, from here on, he is known as Paul, no longer Saul. And it reflects his commitment to reach the Gentiles. This shortens by taking on a Latin name, Paul. His Hebrew name is Saul. By assuming this name, he shortens the gap between his ministry to the Gentiles and his ethnicity as a Hebrew. He wants to identify more with them. And uh, the, the name Paul means small one. It is, again, <clears throat> Latin. It is not the Latin version of Saul. The name Saul in Hebrew means asked, the implication of God. And so there's no connection except phonetically. Phonetically, there is, you know, the move from Saul to Paul, even in the dialect that they were speaking, and it would be phonetically similar Enough. And I think that uh, not only is my educated guess that he assumes this name to identify more with Gentiles, but also to reflect his perception of himself as one in the presence of a great and holy God as small. He writes about this in many places. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And he goes on, of course, to say the Lord Jesus. Galatians 6, 4. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul, you know, you read his, you just read so much of, as we, we go through, you, you find out uh, this man is truly a unique character in humanity and even in, in Scripture. You, you can't name uh, the top ten uh, influential characters of Scripture without Paul being in that list. It's a hard list to compile. Uh, anyway, uh, coming back to this, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. This was the look of spirit war. He wasn't grinning. <laughs> 
And if Elimus thought he was grinning, he probably would have said, does it look like I'm grinning? Uh, he's looking intently at him because he's about to make a move. He knows what's going on. Later, he's going to have a delay in trying to figure out what is going on here. And when he figures it out, he makes his move. But here, he knows right away this guy is blocking the gospel. And he was not going to debate with the dark side. Uh, there can be no peaceful coexistence between truth and a lie. Uh, again, something a lot of Christians don't seem to care to want to understand. Now, that doesn't mean we, we get in, you know, fights with everybody. It just means we understand our position, and we're not giving an inch. We're not going to say, well, you got a good point. No, you, don't ha- you have no good points. If Christ is not your Savior, everything about you is messed up, even the nice things, because ultimately they turn you into um, a condemned soul, and you'll take others with you. This is very serious stuff. Peter would recognize that Paul was very much in touch with, with the Lord. And years later, he writes to the Christians, Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him. And here, that you know, wisdom is, one part of wisdom is the ex- exercise of knowledge. And here, we see him spiritually discerning what is going on and knowing what to do. At this point, In the book of Acts, the narrative will now change to make Paul the dominant character. This is sort of like, this is where he spreads his wings. Prior to this, it's been Barnabas and Saul. But after this, it it will concentrate on Paul. Verse 10, and said, O full of deceit and and all fraud, you son of the devil... You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Well, for Paul to say this, he already got decided he could take this guy. <laughs> no. That's carnal. There's nothing like that. <laughs> I guess you're not there with me, but it's kind of funny. Uh, anyhow, he <laughs> Paul is just, he, he's looking at him intently. As I said, this is the spiritual war stare, and then... Now he goes, he charges. Sergius Paulus is hearing this, and he is saying, I knew it. I knew this guy was a fraud. I love you, Paul. And you know, he, he needed that confirmation. He needed somebody to come in with something better. And may we not appease Satan's workers. We can be polite, but we, there's a big difference between appeasing, accommodating, making comfortable, leading one to assume that they are what they have to say is tolerable to God when it is not. Uh, it is fine to say to someone, that is not what I believe. I categorically reject what you are saying. Have a nice day somewhere else. Does that sound harsh? The truth is harsh. And I don't know about the how the nice day part. I would, I would withhold that. But I would tell them, I disagree with you. And it, it infuriates. It's been my experience. This infuriates people who are not ready to repent. They are very, you know, who do you think you are? You're self-righteous. And they start making the accusation, and you just, you know. Well, Paul knows this man has nothing to offer, that there's nothing to salvage from what he believes in. A lot of seminaries have not learned this. They think it is somehow a mark of intelligence to find knowledge anywhere 
and bring it in and mix it in. You see, we are an eclectic group, and it's leaven. The Bible calls it poison. It is toxic. And we should be very clear about this. And, and we don't have to be, again, vicious. Although sometimes we, we do have to get very firm, as Paul is here. It is a matter of eternal life and eternal condemnation. And instead of telling Sergius the truth, Elimus, the false-hearted, is suppressing the truth and offering up things that contradict the truth, that are hostile towards this. This superstitious sorcery. Superstition means there's no basis for it. You just believe it, but there's no proof. You're throwing salt over your shoulder is not going to bring you good luck. Uh, but there are people that are very superstitious. Baseball, baseball, that beloved sport, the king of all sports, to me, it's infested with superstition. Don't step on the line, or, you know, all the stupid little things. Anyway, I don't care if my speech is inflammatory if it is truth. I'm not trying to cause a riot. Paul caused riots all over the place. Because the speech was inflammatory by today's little... And even in those days, else it wouldn't have been a riot. If you accuse me of being a homophobe, I would say, you're right. You are correct. And I defy. I defy that, that somehow this is bad. Uh... I would add, you should be one too. If, if I'm a homo, homophobe, you should be a homophobe because it is the right thing. It is righteous. But we live in this culture where you can't say that. I fear the damage that they do to everything they touch in the name of their sin. Everything they touch in the name of their sin. When they're struggling with it and hiding it and trying to get over it, that's one thing. But when they're now advocates for this, when they're out in public with it, blatant, they are a big problem. I fear a lot of things, a lot of blatant and shameless sinners. I fear serial killers. I have a phobia towards them. Um, impenitent felons, uh, you know, that they don't care that they're stealing and harming others. I fear drunk drivers. I'm not ashamed to say that. Uh, I fear those who undermine ministry, that will come into a church and steal a flock to their causes. Um, I fear Christians who put the Old Testament ahead of the New Testament. They're always a problem. I fear people who don't use their turn signal. <laughs> I just had one the other day. Yeah, I think it was today, too. Anyway, a relatively fine drive. Only a few people on the road, one or two, and that's too many for me. But anyway, I fear those who believe in the devil but have no fear of Jesus Christ. I'm afraid of people like that. They vote. They make decisions. They influence people. I fear the Kool-Aid drinking college students who hate what they are told to hate by nitwit professors who know nothing about what they're saying. I have a fear of that. And you think about how, you know, our troops were treated coming back from Vietnam. Who taught them how to treat our troops that way? Where did that come from? Mostly the universities. Uh, how would you have liked to have been a, a, a San Francisco policeman around Hayton Ashbury Street, appropriately named in some ways, when you just had all of these violent people, just like today, that hated our law enforcement, you know, putting pipe bombs in police stations and stuff like this? Yeah, I have a fear of those kind of people. 
And I don't care to conform to cultural views if they contradict the kingdom's views. Uh, I think that we should be able to say in the workplace when someone says, oh, you're homophobic, yep, I am. And I'm not ashamed of it. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm trying to uh, steal something from somebody. I would say this to the face of anyone, I'd like to think. I'd like to say the same thing, maybe to some of these politicians. I'd like to say to them, oh, full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord when they're out there trying to say a woman's right to kill the unborn? Um, I'm afraid of that. All right, that was my little session there. Actually, it was a big one. So, verse 11. And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. It takes a special man in Christ to be entrusted with such ability. You just couldn't give this. They couldn't give it to me. I mean, I would head straight to the university with this power. I would be not. You're a professor here? Yes. <laughs> Go down to the next one. I'd be wiping people out. So I'm just telling you, for God to say, Paul, you can handle this is impressive. Um, I'm envious in a righteous way. Uh, but anyway, Paul himself was blinded by the Lord. But he repented. He, he, he owned his sin. This man does not. Even Simon Magnus from chapter 8, at least he repented. So I don't want those things to happen to me, Peter. And, and, and it speaks of him practicing his, his magic in the past tense, which is a, a noble entry. But not so with, with, with this Elimus. Why didn't he cry out and say, forgive me? Uh, especially when he was smitten blind. And that's what I meant. Here he is. Pinned, and he won't tap. He's submitted, and he just continues to, you know, just have someone lead him by the hand. He's doubly blind, spiritually and physically, for a, a while. Luke, when he put together the book of Acts, he made sure to show that everything Peter did, Paul did too, because this was a big deal. When Luke gets with Paul, he finds out how many Christians were rejecting his authority. Now, he's our apostle. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that guy. You know? and, and, and so Luke, uh, and he just tells it like it is. Peter dealt with the magician, Simon, and Paul deals with Elimus. Uh, Peter, he is summoned by Gentiles, and Luke names them Cornelius, and Paul is too. He is summoned by Sergius Paulus, who is named for us by Luke. Peter was visited by an angel, and Paul is visited by an angel. We'll get that at the shipwreck in the latter chapter of Acts 27, where an angel then stood by his side. Peter healed the lame, and so did Paul. Peter raised someone from the dead, so did Paul. Peter was miraculously released from prison. And so was Paul. And it, goes, it, it continues. And so Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Speaking about himself. He said, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
But because men did not pick him, folks resisted his authority. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed, that is Sergius Paulus, whose name is Paul, incidentally. It's the same name. Sergius Paul is a variation of Paul. When he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teachings of the Lord. Lord. So he is converted without being pacified, without the gospel being watered down. He was an educated man who was saved. And if this educated man can be saved, no educated man can claim they're too smart to be saved without looking the fool. Uh, as I mentioned, there are very, very much educated Christians. John Lennox is, is one that's living today, highly educated in the sciences, and, and yet um, he's a full-out believer. Uh, it says, being astonished at the teachings of the Lord. The miracle was certainly there, but it was the teachings, the truth that set him free. There's no mention of water baptism. There's no mention of speaking in tongues. Miracles, apart from the word of God, are a trap to dumb down the church. If you cannot handle God's word, what does that say about you as a Christian? Because the word of God is the voice of God. And if you don't want to hear it, what does that mean? When when. Paul gave instructions to Timothy about how to organize the church. He said, choose faithful men, those who could sit under the word. And uh, again, if, if you can't handle the word of God, then what does that mean? This man was hungry for the truth about God and man, and he received it. He was not jaded because Elimus was the fraud. He did not say, you know, all these religious people. I don't trust any of them. I don't believe in any of it. We see that a lot. We see it a lot throughout human history and to this day. This man, he had an opportunity to be saved. And in spite of the opposition, he was saved. He made the choice. Let's pray. Our Father, how can we not be excited at your word? How can someone be filled with the Holy Spirit and not very much moved by what you have to say? This is your work, and we thank you for it. And pray, Lord, if someone is here this morning in the church or watching or listening online, not open their heart to you, we give them an opportunity to come to you, to be saved from a judgment to come. If you would like Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if you would like to respond to the truth in a way that pleases God and benefits you, then make this prayer and mean it. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments. I ask you to forgive me. There's no one else with the power to forgive me. There's no one else who died in my place as a sinner, as you did, and then rose again to demonstrate your authority. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior from this day forward. I give my life to you. Now, Father, if anyone has made this confession of faith, may they not back away from it. May they be like little children and converted to you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.